We don't really know what her life was like until we meet her in Joshua chapter 2. The Bible tells us that she was a prostitute in Jericho. Some theologians argue that mainly she may have just been an innkeeper. But it, it really doesn't matter because life in Jericho stunk. God made a promise to Abram many years before, hundreds of years before, that the land of Canaan would be his land, that his family would settle there. But he said you had to wait until the sin of the Amorites became full. So that tells you that by the time Israel was on the border of the Canaan land, that it was a bad place to live. And this woman that we meet today, her name was Rahab, that was her life in the broken down, using and abusing city of Jericho. So let's read a little bit of her story as we get into our topic today. So in Jer Joshua chapter 2, <clears throat> two men sent out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Before I go on, I want to remind you of something. The Bible is filled with ordinary people who did extraordinary things, not extraordinary people who did extraordinary things. That's very important to remember. This is just a normal lady with a difficult situation in her life. <clears throat> and this is normal technology that is awesome. I'm going to start singing Amazing and Grace again. And this is a really good sermon, too. It's going to be here longer. I don't feel bad for you, though. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> Just, okay, try and follow me. Good luck, Hannah. I'm sorry. There's a ton of notes today. So is it back on? Oh, she's got it. I always have a backup. Uh, I don't even need one, but if I don't stay on notes, we'll be here all day. You can ask my wife. I don't use notes at home, and she's a poor woman. You should feel sorry for her. Joshua 2, verse 8 is where I'm at <clears throat> now. So the, the spies went to sleep that night, and Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. <clears throat> We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. We have all heard, um, we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt, and we know that what you did, and we know what you did to Sinai and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. This is Rahab's dilemma. And you need to see it. Because she actually hadn't been on Twitter that morning to find out that they had walked through the Jordan on dry land as well. And so she, she had a 40-year-old story, and she was terrified. She'd been hearing this stuff her whole life is the point. Verse, chapter 2, verse 12 says, Now swear to me by the Lord that you'll be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho's conquered, you'll let me live. Along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Do you understand what's happening in Rahab's life? She's abandoning the, way, the only way of life she knows. 
She is walking away from Jericho, giving up her very life to trust the people of God. Isn't that crazy? Um, sometimes you, you figure out that life in Jericho just doesn't work. That in Jericho, especially life for a prostitute or even an innkeeper, innkeeper that the people in Jericho, they just end up getting used, despised. Um, you end up abandoned and alone. The people in Jericho are takers and users and abusers. And so Rahab wants out. The walls that were there to protect her city had become a prison. She couldn't escape. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. So let's pause. We have a blood-colored rope hanging out the window. That's what we have. Now, I'd like you to kind of climb in Rahab's shoes just for a second, all right? She lets the spies out the window, which her house is apparently on the wall, and they're climbing down to this rope. They tell her, leave the rope there, the blood-colored rope on the wall, so we know it's your house. So every day after that, until the day that the nation of Israel starts marching around the city, that rope's just hanging there. And, and she's walking into the house, and every evening after whatever she's done doing, she goes and sits in that room and looks at that rope. She knows what's coming. It's been coming for 40 years. It's been coming her entire lifetime. The condemnation, the judgment of God, and her only hope is a bloody rope hanging out the window. You see, Rahab's about to experience her very own Passover. Have you ever thought of it that way? You see, the Israel, nation of Israel experienced the Passover. They put blood over the doorpost and on the side doorpost, and God passed over, the angel of death passed over their house. Now Rahab's got her own bloody rope hanging out the window in hopes that she will also be passed over. Verse 21 of Joshua 2. I'm skipping a slide, Hannah. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. So, that, so as I was thinking of and praying, I, just been, I don't know, something about this sermon's got me all whirled up. I don't know how to describe it. That's not a term I normally use. I don't ever say that to my wife. I'm feeling all whirled up today. <laughs> but I'm just seeing this, uh, this lady sitting at that window. I'm seeing her as the nation of Israel is marching around the, the city every morning for seven days straight. We'll talk about that story more in a few weeks. Every day, judgment's outside the city. You know what happens in Jericho when judgment gets near? Fear. Do you know what bad people do when they're afraid? They act worse. And every day they're marching around that city and the city's getting worse and bad people are getting worse and, and people are getting scared and they're panicky. And every day she's going to that room looking at her only hope, her rope to the future, her scarlet hope 
So, do you know that God loves a good redemption story? You aware of that? I mean, I, sometimes I think God looks at a, a person who's a mess, a wreck, I mean like us, and goes, I cannot wait to show the world what I can do with that mess. So I think of Rahab, she's a mess, man. According to the Bible, I mean, whatever translation you take in, prostitute, innkeeper, however you want to look at it, she's still a mess. She's a, she's a condemned citizen of Canaan. And God says, somehow, he works through these uh, spies, and she gets redemption in her life. She has a hope of a future. And in Joshua 6.25, so four chapters later, this is what we find out. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her relatives who were in their house, because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So now she had to abandon Jericho, but now she's in the people of God. She's made a shift from condemnation to acceptance, to family. She used to be them, and now she's us. That's good, right? How, you guys, how many of you guys know that God's better than that? So let me, let, me, uh, let me jump New Testament on you, and let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Oh, hang on, there's more. You, God is establishing a pattern with Rahab. It's not just a one-time deal. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, also a foreigner from a foreign land. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. You tell me God doesn't love a redemptive story. Amen. He took Rahab and established a pattern of acceptance. Is that awesome or what? Man, if you think Christianity is walling people out or putting people outside, wrong. Following Jesus is about bringing foreigners in, outsiders in. That's what it's about. And you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, you probably have thought, man, you don't know how bad my story is. And if that's how you think, good. Good. But you may not be aware of how awesome our God is. And how he can take the worst story and turn it into a story of redemption. In our story today, we encounter a city that's a box. The worst kind of abusive, condemned, horrible box anyone could ever live in. And there's Rahab and her family and her brothers and her sisters and her mom and dad trapped in the box. And how do you get out of the box? Well, what do you think the scarlet rope stands for? There are so many parallels between Joshua, the Jesus of the Old Testament, and Jesus of the New. That rope is a symbol of the gospel. And that is what we are talking about when we talk about boundaries and we talk about drawing our lines in our life to get us out of the boxes. We are just talking about the gospel. We are talking the oldest message that ever gets preached in any church in the world. The simple truth that the gospel meets it all, fills it all, changes us all, and saves us all. And so when you start talking about how to take, to take responsibility for your life, the first answer any believer needs to walk to is the gospel. And if your theology is trapped in the idea, well, that the gospel only applies to when I first trust Jesus Christ, your theology is weak, man. I'm not trying to insult you. 
Just telling you the truth. That's your yard. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, you have to be here a couple sermons to know what I just said there. I apologize for that. The kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants for you. That's what you're responsible for. Goodness, righteousness, and peace. Does that make sense? The gospel is the only thing that can empower that. And so when I talk about boundaries and I talk about lines, you need to understand I'm not talking about trying to control other people in your life. I'm not talking about trying to control other people in your life. I'm talking about pleasing God rather than people. Does that make sense? It's about living righteously. So let's jump into, so you're probably in this series so far. A lot of what we've talked about has been principle and foundational. And today we're going to get into something a little bit more practical and a whole lot more painful. Are you excited about that? Bring it! Yeah! I'm excited. As soon as it's over. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Matthew 6.33 is where we're going to start. Very familiar passage of Scripture if you've been to church very much. If you haven't heard it before, it's okay. Make a note. Read it later. It's a really important verse. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Today's trouble. Amen. Today's trouble is enough. How many of you got enough today? You got enough today? All right, go ahead. Raise your hand. You need to move. You're going to sleep on me. I'm a little serious this morning. All right? Okay, put them down. It's good. Yeah, I, need, I, got, I got enough trouble today. So we are working on this idea of living a righteous life and not limiting people or circumstances. What causes our problems when it comes to drawing these healthy lines in our life? What kind of problems? So I'm going to cover four. These four are in your notes, but they're not worded the way I'm about to give them to you. Okay? <laughs> so we're going to talk about unmet needs, unresolved grief, fear, and forgiveness. Okay? You can, make, you can make notes on that. You're going to need to make notes today. This is in the study guide, but it doesn't mean you'll connect. It's, I have to shorten that so much to get it onto two pages that uh, you may have to make a few notes today. Uh, by the way, if you actually want this to help you, you should make a few notes today. Uh, I'm, just, I'm not making a jab there. I'm just telling you. Make a, God tells you something, you should write it down. That's how come we have the Bible, but that's another thing, okay? All right, so... Sooner or later, you realize that no matter how hard you try something, it's, it's not working, right? Do you, uh, you ever get to a place in life that you, you have to admit, you know, no matter how hard I do this, I'm actually not getting anywhere, okay? And that's what happens with these, why we need to look at our boundaries and our lines in life and what we're actually responsible for and what God wants us to do and our purpose because we're responsible for that. We have to look in that. And a lot of times we're not getting there. So what's that mean? Sometimes you've got to realize, like Rahab, Jericho doesn't work. Like the first century Christians, Rome doesn't work. And by the way, that was one of the most successful systems of government up to its time at that point. Uh, I think I just said that twice. Never mind. Get over it, okay? Um, so, but uh, here's the one you've got to get a hold of. And I don't want you to freak out when I say this. But if you do, I guess that's your yard. America don't work either. I know that's dumb. I'll tell you why. It's not the ideas. It's the fact that America's filled with sinful people. There is no system of government that can control and govern corrupt people. There isn't one. And, I, and you, even if you had the perfect system, the people would corrupt the system. 
And I don't, you know, politically, however you want to deal with that, that's, you, you deal with that, okay? That's not my concern. My concern is you can be as patriotic and as red-blooded American as you want to be and die and go to hell. I know some of you are saying, well, I don't know if I believe in hell. We will help you with that <laughs> discussion. We're not judging you for that discussion. We're here to help. But obviously you know where I stand. <laughs> However, I will say this. You can saturate any form of government with the gospel, and it will get better. Amen. It will get better. God can change things that systems cannot. You see, there's an emptiness in our world, and there's an emptiness in Jericho that's never going to be filled on its own. There's an emptiness in your life. No matter how much money you make, it's never going to give you peace, goodness, and righteousness. No matter how many times your kids call you on the phone and tell you you're a wonderful mom or dad, it's never going to give you goodness, peace, and righteousness. No matter how many of your enemies call you up and apologize or set an appointment, buy you coffee, and say they're sorry, it's never going to give you goodness, righteousness, and peace. Only the gospel can do that. But in Jericho slash Rome slash America, Romans, uh, Matthew 6.32, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, for your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. You see, what I'm trying to get at is we need to stop denying that we have needs. And we need to accept the fact that the world we live in can never meet those needs. Your husband, your wife, your kids your boss, your politician, your bank account, never going to fulfill your needs. And this is the number one reason we have boundary issues, as they are called, because we're trying to get our needs met. We're trying to get someone to love us, someone to accept us, someone to make us feel like we need to feel. But I want to take you back to Jericho, and let's take a spin around the wall of a city and let's stop at a certain window that there's a blood-colored rope hanging from. And let's remember, there, no government will ever meet our need, but there is a gospel that meets our need. Every oversight in your life, every failure, every abuse, every betrayal in your birth family, Every curse, every lie, every personal failure, every sin, every thought, everything in your life is met and overcome in the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. That God loved you, he came to earth in Jesus Christ, and he lived for you, he died for you, he rose again for you, he ascended to his Father for you, and then he came back in the Holy Spirit to live in you. That is the gospel. You may feel overwhelmed by your sinfulness and you may think that something broken in you has survived the blood of Jesus somehow because we have an enemy who's a liar. Well, I'm here to tell you if that's how you feel, if you feel somehow the blood of Jesus has not overwhelmed some sin or some failure, some weakness in your life, you need to understand that you are underestimating Jesus Christ and overestimating sin. Jesus Christ died to overwhelm that in your life. And you may sit there going, but I have these broken things in me. My dad never loved me. That's okay. Because you've got a new father now, and he loves you like crazy. You're his favorite. He loves hanging out with you. You've got a new dad. That's the gospel, okay? 
You may say, well, my parents never taught me anything. No problem, because you got a Holy Spirit living in you. He's your teacher. you got a new teacher now. You're good to go. You may be saying, well, I'm the black sheep of the family. And you're a little proud of that. I know. <laughs> but the gospel says you're a new sheep and a new pastor with a new shepherd. Amen. Accept it. Amen? All your needs are met in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So stop freaking out about what you've been and start learning who you are. Amen? Amen. All right. So your needs are all met in Jesus Christ. There's another thing that goes on in, a, in us, and this is where we talk a little about, a bit about unresolved grief. <laughs> you give me the Matthew 5, 4 slide. It says, a lot of times we, when we try the things that are harder, we, we don't know why. So let me just read some scriptures and then I'll jump in. Matthew 5, 4. This is one of our favorites in the church. That was sarcasm. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you ever wonder why God put that in the Bible? I mean, this, is, this isn't just God putting the Bible. This is like Jesus' best sermon, the intro to Jesus' best sermon, okay? No jokes, tears. <laughs> he did not know how to speak. Just kidding. James 4, 9, James adds to it. James got the message. By the way, I think this was James, one of the sons of thunder, so I'll just read. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Man, I wonder if anybody would go to that church. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Why does the Bible call us to mourn? You ever wondered? Why does God call us to grief? I'm not saying he doesn't call us to joy. In fact, he, he tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. He says a lot of things about joy. But what if the pathway to joy is through the valley of grief? And so, the reason I bring this up, as we think about this, think about Rahab for a second. Let's reconnect with her for a minute. What would it be like to leave behind everything you know? To release the city you grew up in, all the people you knew, all your friends at school. What would that be like? It would be mournful. It would be grief. No matter how bad they were, there had to be some grief involved in the process you have to go through. And this is another reason. A lot of times we struggle with our lines. One, because we've already said we have unmet needs. We need people to meet them. We're trying to get them to meet them. And so we think that if we just let them control our life enough, they'll finally meet our needs. It never works. The other reason is because we have sadness in our life that we are afraid to feel. Did you hear me? Hear this again. We have sadness in our life that we are afraid to feel. We know that in the second that we take a stand and uh, speak to that controlling person in our life, that they could leave, they could walk away. We also realize that when we stand up to them, it's going to become glaringly apparent that the relationship we wish we had with them will never be which is really painful if it's your mom or your dad or your brother or a child. Jesus said in John 14, 16, out of the King James, he says, I like the King James translation of this. I pray the Father, and he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Why did Jesus use a word that meant comforter if you're never going to need comfort 
You see, we live in a country that through its marketing and its lies has built a system of positive attitude that has given you a coping tool. And the coping tool is never feel the sadness, just always concentrate on the positive. Well, then why did Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn? And why did Jesus say, I'm sending a comforter to actually live in you? Not just show up when you need counseling. Not just show up when you're sad, but to be there with you when sadness comes and overwhelms you. Why did Jesus do that? Because there is sadness in our life that cannot be healed until it is fully felt. Remember that. Write it down. We have sadness in our life that cannot be healed until it's fully felt. And that's why we're having so much trouble sometimes. We, we have things, our, our parents didn't hit the expectation we thought. It wasn't their fault. It's not your fault. It's, it's the world. It's brokenness and corruption. But we need to feel the sadness so Jesus can meet us in the sadness. Do you want to heal? Do you really want your heart to heal? You actually have to go into the morning. Grief is the only pain you go into will, willingly that heals all other pains. And when you go into the grief, guess who you're going to find there? Holy Spirit, man! God is going to be there in the grief, in the most broken moment, in the most abusive moment. In that sadness, Jesus said, I'll be there. And then you can be free. So when you start thinking about how to follow Jesus out into your purpose rather than just being who you think everybody else wants you to be. You're going to encounter sadness and Jesus is waiting. In that moment, that's just one thing that the gospel is for. I tell you what, it's also what this family's for. Romans 5, chapter, Romans 12, 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. That's our job. To empathize with each other, to help carry the grief and the brokenness, to stand with each other, to connect each other to Jesus. There's only one Savior in this room, and his name is Jesus Christ. You know that, right? Amen. You ain't him. I love you, but you didn't die for me. You don't live in me. And we got to stop trying to be the Savior. Being the body of Christ is about helping us get to the Savior. Does that make sense? We weep together, cry together, laugh together, even at bad jokes. Thank you for doing that for me for many years. So our unmet needs keep us trapped in Jericho in our boxes. Our unresolved grief. I'm telling you guys, if you could, if you could just go through the grief and enter the sadness and let Jesus heal it, you'd be free of so much. You would encounter the gospel in ways you did not know how good it was. The third thing. It's really hard to overcome fear. Fear. The sound of the word, don't you? Fear. And I met I met this passage in the Word of God that's just got me rattled. I'll tell you something that's great about the Word of God. It will really mess with what you believe. It really will. I mean, I'm just saying. Whatever your theology is, it will fall down in God's Word. 
So why do we have fear? And a lot of, there's a lot of things we're afraid of. We're afraid of anger, fear of abandonment, afraid someone's going to walk away, uh, yell at us. I, I don't know. There are all kinds of uh, uh, guilt, embarrassment, accusation, humiliation. People make us feel stupid. That's one of my weaknesses. I hate it when someone makes me feel stupid, so I punch them in Jesus' name. And um, <laughs> I call it a healing. I call it, you're healed of making me feel stupid. So anyway... No, I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen. Is it shame? Um, remember, we said this last week, guilt is uh, something we feel over an action. Shame is what we feel over an identity. Okay? What, what is it that we're afraid of? So look, look at 1 John 4.18. Uh, you know, I'm going to read the first half of the verse and stop, and then I'll read the second half. Because the first half we know really well. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. We know that part. Amen. Good verse. Love it. Need it. Bring it. Jesus. Right? Let's read the rest of it. <laughs> um, if we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. Ouch. Why am I afraid? Because somehow I'm not receiving my Father's love. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians, that is knowing the, that God, is when we know God's love that cannot be known, that we are filled with all the fullness of God. I can't remember which verse, but it's Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 in one of those. And, and so when we are experiencing fear in our life, it's because we are not experiencing Father's love. I'm not talking about your wife's love or your kid's love or anybody else's love. I'm talking about Father's love. He loves you. And one of the greatest struggles we have as Christians is connecting with that love. Because one, we don't think we deserve it. Two, we're trying to earn it. We live like we're orphans, even though we're God's kids. We're God's children, and we're walking around like we have to get some kind of approval from Him. He approved of Jesus, transposed that on us. He likes you. You're good to go. We have to let go of that spirit that traps us in that way, and we need to embrace and let... I know this is going to sound stupid. I hope you get it. We need to let God love us. We need to let God love us. Until we do that, we're always going to be afraid. And I just want to remind you from a real practical perspective, there is no fear in your life. There is no fear in your life that cannot be overcome by the presence of God, uh, your faith in Christ, and some good friends in the faith. And notice I'm throwing that in there. Good friends in the faith. Faith, because guys, I know what it's like. The Western mindset is I got to do this on my own. It's not just America, it's the entire Western mindset. I got to do this on my own. And so let me help you. You can't. You can't. As long as you keep doing it on your own, you're going to keep hitting that wall and hitting that wall and hitting that wall. And one day you're going to wake up all alone and realize I can't do this on my own. I got to go find some people to help me. And you're just going to waste decades of banging your head on the wall until one day you realize. I need Jesus, and I need my family. Amen? amen? amen. Say amen, even if you don't want to. Amen. All right, good job. Some of you still didn't say it, but it's okay. I forgive you because I'm about to speak on forgiveness. Like, oh, he's got to forgive me. So there we are on the, the wall of Jericho, a little window, and out of the window is this red rope. It was a rope to the future, not a string to the past. The gospel is all about forgiveness. 
It's about God forgiving you, covering you in forgiveness, overwhelming you with forgiveness. For Rahab, it was about letting go of the abuse and the past and the lies and the treachery of Jericho. She had to leave it in the dust of a fallen city. And that's what the gospel does. It releases you from the past. That's what forgiveness does. It releases you from the past. In fact, forgiveness is a financial concept. Believe it or not, you're like, oh, you lost me there. I don't want to talk money today. Well, I'm not. Michael already covered that earlier, so I'm good. <laughs> Forgiveness is about releasing a debt. The reason we don't forgive people is because we feel like they owe us. You ever owed somebody money, a friend money, not, not just the bank? I mean, the bank's different. You're like, Psh, whatever, the bank. But I mean, a friend. And as soon as you borrowed, like, what, 20 bucks? As soon as you borrowed it, your friendship changed. You notice that? It was subtle, but all of a sudden now, you're getting to work a little later if you work with them. If you see them coming around a corner, you go around another one. You just, it, just, it just got awkward because now there's 20 bucks involved. And you're like, well, who cares? It's just, I'm going to pay it back, but until you do, it's just weird. Forgiveness is when we, unforgiveness is when we have, feel like someone owes us something. It's a debt. And as long as the debt is there, hear me out and listen well, as long as the debt is there, I'm tied to the person. No matter how mean they were, abusive, they might have been pure evil, and as long as they owe me, we're tied. How you like that? Now you're probably sitting there going, well, yeah, but if I forgive them, then I'm just going to let it go. They're never going to pay for it. Well, that's where you're wrong. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. God's got all the revenge stuff covered. Don't you worry. He's got that. He's better at it than you. Everybody in the world out there, the New Eastern concepts, they call it karma. Uh, no, it's not. It's God keeping the books. He knows how things work. You either get covered in the blood or you get smashed by something else. But that's another thing. So when we release the debt, we release the person. So let me talk a little bit about forgiveness and what it is, I guess. And let me define what it is by what it's not. Forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not saying that it didn't happen. In fact, in order to forgive, you have to acknowledge the hurt to release it. Okay? It's not denial. It's not opening yourself up to more abuse. Most people tie three ideas together in the word forgiveness. Okay, They tie the idea of forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust into one word, forgiveness. It's not. Forgiveness is about the past. Someone hurt me, offended me, took advantage of me, betrayed me, whatever. That's the past. Guess what? I can just forgive that. They don't owe me anything. Everything they'd owe me, that's under the blood of Jesus. I, nobody owes me anything because I've been forgiven so much. Matthew 18, check it out in your free time. So forgiveness about the past. Reconciliation now, that's a little bit different. Reconciliation involves two people. It involves recognizing there's been a wrong in the, in the offending party. It involves uh, coming to an agreement about that, a repentance, all those kind of things. So you could forgive and not reconcile, but what's on you is to forgive. Okay, at the moment. Reconciliation is one of the things God calls us to do. So you're not totally out of the woods when you forgive, but it unhooks you from the person, and that's what you want. Especially if it's an abusive person in your past. If you don't forgive them, you're going to be tied to them for the rest of your life. And I'll give you some more bad news. The more you're tied to someone from your past, the more you become like them. Ask any parent of a child. I mean, any child of a parent. Boy, I got that inverted. 
How many of you guys are like, when you're a kid, I will never do what my mom does until the day you have children and you, say, and you hear your mother's voice come out of your mouth? <laughs> what you think about is what you become. So think about Jesus, but that's another thing. The third thing is trust. Trust is future. Forgiveness is past. Reconciliation is present. Trust is future. If I can forgive someone, I can reconcile with someone. When I'm at a point of reconciliation, then we can build a pathway to trust. Then we can build a pathway to trust together. Jesus said this, and I know you're sitting there going, that just sounds unchristian to me. So I'm going to give, look at John chapter 2, verse 24. But Jesus did trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Trust is a different matter. And it's going to take some work to get back to trust. And I could talk about that for a while, but I'm out of time. So, simply understand, forgiveness is releasing the debt. When you release the debt, you grieve the loss. And when you grieve the loss, you will experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You with me? Did you follow that? I forgive. I grieve it. I don't ignore it. I don't just walk off like nothing happened. I grieve it. When you forgive something, there's going to be a sadness. Don't ignore the sadness. Enter the sadness. You will meet Jesus there. He said he had a comforter in you. Do you believe that Jesus would honor his word? You believe that? So it's going to be okay, all right? So those are our four ideas. Forgiveness, fear, unresolved grief, and the first one, unmet needs. Thanks, honey. <laughs> so what should you do? Real quick, real quick. Simple church routine. You hear this all the time in church, but it's so important I'm never going to pass. I mean, we can't pass it up. How do we do these hard things? First of all, guys, we've got to learn to pray. We gotta learn to pray, and I'm not talking about just like Lord bless my day, help me have a safe trip to Casper, uh, Lord help my boss not to be a jerk today, uh, Lord please uh, let me win the lottery. I'm not talking about that kind of prayer, okay? I'm talking about relational prayer with your Father. I'm talking about yes, asking for things. The Bible says uh, in J James four two, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And the Bible says in Matthew seven seven, keep on asking, you receive what you ask for. Yeah, I'm not saying don't ask God for these things. I'm just saying have a better relationship with God than that. Would you like a relationship with your kids that was all based on them asking you for stuff? Some of you just went, well, that is the relationship I have with my kids. <laughs> But you don't like it, okay? <laughs> That's the point. You don't like it. And so we need to have this relationship with God. So here's how this looks. Right now, you're listening to this long sermon, right? You, shouldn't, you should be in conversation with Father while this is happening. God, is that right? Is, is this bound up in the Word? Is, it, is this truth? What do I need to do with that? You've got something to say? Make a note? You understand? This, driving down the road, instead of being angry at the person who just cut you off, talk to Father about it. You know, Lord, help him have a good day. <laughs> I pray there are Christians before I run over them in my car. <laughs> we should have that kind of conversation. So I'm talking about prayer as a conversation with God. Second thing, what's going on with your Bible? I know that's an uncomfortable question, but that's your yard. So let's talk about it. You know, when I was uh, younger, we didn't have these cool tablet things. By the way, this is the over 40 iPad. I know you're thinking, what is he carrying, an entire computer? Yes. <laughs> can't see. I'm having to hold this one out here, you know. I'm like, and you should see the font. Never mind. We'll stop talking about me. Back to it. But back then, you could tell if people read their Bibles because they'd walk in the door with their Bibles under their arm. I went to an independent fundamental Baptist hate everybody else church. 
My hand up, I ain't kidding. And you could tell if you read their Bible because there would be that <laughs> dust. <laughs> their arm would go through there and there's dust on both sides. You know, in the book this week, brother? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we can't tell because your Bibles are on your phones or on your tablets. But let me ask you a question, man. Are you in the book, man? Are you reading God's Word? Are you thinking about God's Word? Are you getting it in you? Why? Why is it important? Well, God just speaks to me in so many different ways. Yes, He does. But if you don't know His Word, the enemy can also speak to you in so many different ways. And God will never say anything in so many different ways that, he, that would be opposed to what He says in His Word. You need to know that. You need to get God's Word inside of you. So important. You know, there's a lot of people I love to read. I love John Piper. I, I love a whole lot of writers. And they're great. But they're not the Word. And too many times we read everybody else except the Bible. But I'm going to tell you what. God may give you a nugget through somebody else's teaching. That's great. But He's going to give you Himself through His Word. Okay? And that's what we want. We want Him. All right? By the way, you want to sleep like a baby at night, start memorizing Scripture, and when you go to sleep, quote it in your mind, you will have weird dreams, and you will sleep like a baby. I promise. recommend you need a prescription, I'll write it down for you, okay? <laughs> Third thing, what about your gifts? What about what God has given to you? We need to grow. We need to grow. Over the years of ministry, I've had a lot of people uh, that I've worked with in roles of leadership, and I've tried to help become leaders. And there are all kinds of people in the world who want to lead. But what I have found is there are very few who want to learn. And if you're going to lead, you have to learn. You have to learn your flock. You have to learn those you're leading. You have to learn your father. There's so much to learn. And so I just want to say, God gave you talents. What makes you powerful in life is not your talents. It's the skill you develop with your talents. Do you understand? There are a lot of talented people in the world who never accomplish anything because they never work on the skill it takes to use the gift. Amen. And so we need to pray. Yes, we need to be in the Word. Yes, we also need to grow in what God has given us. Stop sitting there wishing you had what someone else had. You don't. Every gift is for the church, by the way. Let me throw that out there for free. Uh, your gift that God gave you is not for you. It's for the body. Amen. i got three amens on that. I'm going to try that one more time see if it... Every gift that God gives you is not for you. It's for the body. Amen? And so you need to get good with those gifts. Learn to grow in those gifts. Be a servant with those gifts. Another thing, where, who are your people? Who are your people? You know, we need people in our lives. One of the problems we have with drawing lines is the voices in our head. Some of you have really abusive people in your head. Some of you have really angry people in your head. Some of you have a guilty voice in your head. Amen? Did I hit any? Who did I miss? Shameful voice in your head. I don't know. Did I get everybody? Give me a nod and I'll go on. I just want to make sure I got everybody. Okay. How are you going to change that voice? Voice of God, voice of his people. You need to be in a group. You need to be in a small group where people are speaking God's, where they care about you. They respect you. They respect where you are on your journey. By the way, if you're leading a small group, let's, let's never lose that small group leaders. We need to always respect where everyone is in the journey. They may come in and have a weird idea based on what we believe, but love them and help them with the weird idea because you got it for yourself, don't you? There's always someone to tell you you got a weird idea. But anyway, we need people to help replace those voices in our head. And then the last thing I want to say, and I can't, it's kind of like the best for last. 
The last thing is, tell me about your worship. A Christian who does not worship is not a thing. Hear me out. A Christian who does not worship is not a thing. God help us those moments in our faith where God cannot overwhelm us with who he is. You want to know what worship is? It's being overwhelmed with your father. It's not singing, not dancing down the aisles. I'm good with both of those, but I'm weird. It's being overwhelmed with who loves you and why he loves you. And you know what's sad? It's sad that we fill our lives with lots of talking and lots of studying and lots of analytical and we never just sit and let God overwhelm us with his love. We, we do everything so well except pray. So learn to worship and be filled with your Father. You'll find your problems get small when you see how big your Father is. So as I conclude, I just ask, what's happening in you right now? I'm, I'm pretty sure Holy Spirit probably, he likes to meddle. He probably stirred up some thoughts, some feelings. Maybe he touched you in a place and you need to do something about it. Don't just hear a message in book. There's going to be people on my right at that little gray table, on my left at that gray table. Their job is to pour into you through prayer. To connect you with Holy Spirit. That's what they want to do. Um, I'll be at the back door of my wife. If you'd like to have an extended session, just sit down and do some praying. Just let me know. We'll find an appointment. We'll do it. But don't just walk out the door on your own. At the very least, talk to it about the person you're with. Or talk to it, talk about it with someone in your small group. And get some voices changed in your head and get some truth in your heart and move forward. Because your Father loves you. He loves you right now. And most of us are probably trapped in our own little Jericho. And there is a blood red rope to get you out. So get out. Be free. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I pray that these words have found the right place in hearts and souls and spirits. I pray that I have been in unity with Holy Spirit as he walks the room. I live my life based on the promise of where two or three are gathered. In Jesus' name, he is there. I know there's a lot of sadness in here. I know there's a lot of aloneness and abandonment. I know there's a lot of fear. It's, it's hard to get through this life without those things. But I also know that there's something so much bigger than fear in this room. Something so much more significant than my, the things I think I need. Lord, would you just connect your people with you? As was prayed earlier, would you remove those distractions and let your kids come home? Thanks, Father. In Jesus' name, let's stand together.